Well, good morning, everyone. I feel like I keep uh, mentioning this fact, but we have another challenging passage <laughs> this morning. Uh, maybe it's because there's a lot of challenging passages in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And this morning in particular, I think there's some difficulty because it appears as if Paul goes on the defensive. At first glance, it's like he has a chip on his shoulder that he's beginning to address, which has led many to, to look at this passage and suggest that perhaps Paul is in a place where he's needing to defend his role as an apostle. In other words, to give credibility to his instruction, he needs to prove his authority. And in isolation, when you just look at this passage in and of itself, I can see how you could come to that conclusion. But in the context of the letter as a whole, I, I just don't believe that's the case. Because what we examine this morning has to be tied with what we talk, tied to what we talked about last week. And since several of you were out uh, last week with spring break, let me give you a quick summary of what we talked about. After his discussion on marriage and a life of being single, Paul turns his attention to a new topic. A topic of meat, eating meat, being sacrificed to idols. Again, we talked about how this was a, an issue that was brought forth by members of the Corinthian church, more of an opinion that they weren't really asking Paul a question about. They were just seeking his approval on. And, and it was an important issue to them because it involved their life in the community of Corinth. Now, some of you hear that issue of meat being sacrificed to idols and you've already checked out. You're thinking, oh, great. What in the world could this possibly have to do with anything in my life today? But we learned last week that it may have more to do with your life than you realize. So hang with me on this. Behind this cultural issue was a spiritual dilemma. The meat being sacrificed to idols was an important part of a, of a social event. And so to put it in context, when you think pagan worship... Think dinner party. It's a social event that you would have been invited to if you lived in this city. The meat that had been sacrificed to idols was one of the main courses on the menu. And because this was an important social event, choosing not to participate would have isolated you from the civic life of what took place in that city. In other words... Your absence would make you an outcast. So, the Corinthian Christians justified their continued involvement in these events based on their knowledge that meat sacrificed to idols was no different than any other meat. They could be involved because they knew better. But as we talked about last week, they were only using their knowledge to justify their compromise. As I thought about that, I thought, what, what are some modern-day examples of how that might relate to us today? And I couldn't help but go back to my days in high school. And some of the rationale that I used as a high school student when there were parties going on. Because parties were a big deal. It was a social event. It was something that I wanted to be involved in. But I knew that there were things that went on at these parties that weren't right. But I justified in my mind that, that I could go just so long as I didn't participate in those activities. If there was drinking, I wouldn't drink. 
Or maybe if I did drink, I, I wouldn't drink enough to, to actually get drunk. But on that chance that I did drink too much, I for sure wouldn't drive. Do you see what a slippery slope justifying compromise can be? When all we want to do is fit in for fear of being left out. And let's not miss the fact that this applies to us as adults as well. It doesn't change. It just has a new shape. Greg Storm, good friend of mine, was in t- is in town this weekend, and we were talking yesterday, yesterday about uh, kind of the, the trend of travel teams in sports, baseball, volleyball, you name it. It exists in all different sports. A- and what's happening with this is that it, it includes days that families once held sacred. And now, all of a sudden, as parents, we justify our involvement in the commitments necessary because we don't want our kids to be left out. As adults, we can justify our compromise when it comes to the clothes we wear or the house we own or the car we drive because we just want to fit in. We don't want to be left out. And I believe at a core, that's the issue within the Corinthian church. And I hope you see that what they were dealing with back then is just as relevant for us today. We can be just as guilty of justifying our compromise so that what we believe as little as possible doesn't interfere with the way that we really want to live. So... Since that's the case, I think we should listen closely to the counsel that Paul gives to the Corinthian church. He's teaching them, and by virtue of us looking at it together, he's teaching us how the gospel should inform our life. He's explaining what it looks like to to live a life for Christ and how it should impact how you live in your daily life. So in our passage this morning, Paul continues that thought that he began when addressing this issue of meat being sacrificed to idols, and now he's going to turn to himself as an example. And I think in some ways it's if he's saying, look, I'm not asking you guys to do anything that I've been unwilling to do myself. He's going to demonstrate what it looks like to have a God-given freedom but to use it in a God-honoring way so that your life is a visual demonstration of God's love by the choices you make. And that's the heart of what we'll look at together. So let's begin our time with a word of prayer. Father, as we uh, consider your word this morning, help us to hear these words in the context of what you've inspired Paul to write to this church in Corinth so far, that that it would make sense because of where we've come, that the history would inform uh, the words that you uh, inspired Paul to write, and that they would, because they are from you, uh, God-breathed, that they would inspire our lives in the same way, that they would instruct our lives just as importantly as they instructed theirs, and that hopefully as we listen and learn and and walk out of this place this morning, that it would inform the way we live our lives, that it would impact the decisions that we make, that it would somehow shape our life to be lived in a way that it speaks of your love. 
take those God-given freedoms that you give us and use them in a God-honoring way in the world around us. That's our prayer. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 1 is where we'll begin together. Chapter uh, 9, verse 1, Paul writes and says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Paul begins this section of his letter with a series of rhetorical questions. And at first glance, you can see how people would read this in isolation and think, boy, he's really on the defensive. He even says in in verse 3, my defense to those who examine me is this. But I believe Paul, in writing this letter to the Corinthians, wants them to examine his life. And he gives them a series of questions that they would have known the answers to. And they knew those answers because of their relationship with Paul. If you'll remember, he was with them for a period of almost two years. So he not only shared the gospel with them, he shared much of his life with them as well. So they knew about his ministry in the Lord, his being able to to encounter the Lord on that Damascus road. They knew the details of his testimony. In fact, I think the Corinthians probably knew about the Apostle Paul more than most did. And so Paul, in knowing that, kind of appeals to that personal knowledge. He says, the Corinthians are are brothers and sisters in Christ. These these are part of my family. You may remember back in chapter 2, Verse 3, he talked about how he came to them in in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And remember, those words were written likely because he'd been run out of town in Athens. And he had kind of been down a road of some strong persecution. But when he got to Corinth, they at least listened to him. And many of them embraced the message of the gospel. They had put their faith and trust in Christ. And, And their faith? was living proof of Paul's life and ministry among them. So because of this relationship, Paul goes on to to highlight some things that they would have known about his life. In verse 4, he talks about how he had a right to eat and drink. Now, I think this is where Paul is purposely tying himself to the issue at hand, this issue of eating meat being sacrificed to idols and he's just kind of glancing over it but he's saying in a sense I lived with you I had that same right based on that same knowledge and I chose to abstain he goes on to talk about how he like the other apostles had the right to be married and he points to the fact that many of them were including Cephas or Peter 
who was in fact married. And he said, I had that same right. But once again, I chose to abstain. And he's gone to some length in his letter so far to explain why that was important. Because in abstaining from being married and living a life of being single, he could more fully dedicate himself to serve and love people like those in Corinth. He goes on to talk about he, how he had a right to be supported in his life of ministry. Again, this was a pattern among the apostles. They gave up their jobs, whatever they did, to, to dedicate their life to ministry. It was dangerous. It was risky. And so the people they serve expressed their gratitude by providing for them financially. And, and as an apostle, Paul was doing that very same work and, and had earned that very same right to be supported by those he served. But once again, he points to the fact that he has given up that right. He turns to Barnabas and himself and said, you know, essentially, we, we're the ones that have decided not to, to accept financial support and we've chosen to work on the side to pay for our daily needs because we don't want anything to be a hindrance to the work of ministry that we do as i thought about this week um, what's happening here in this exchange that is going on with paul and the members of the corinthian church i couldn't help but think back to the way jesus interacted with his disciples Jesus was the promised Messiah, the son of the living God. He had a right to be worshipped as king and creator. But when all the disciples had dirty feet, what did he do? He laid aside those rights, didn't he? He girded himself with a towel. And he went to each and every one of them. And he washed their dirty feet. Not to humiliate them but to sincerely express to them his great love for them. And I think in many ways, Paul is doing the same thing. He is telling them about the rights he had and then what he gave up for their sakes. He's not trying to humiliate them. He's only trying to impress upon him them the, the great love that he has for them. To Paul, these are his brothers and sisters in Christ. It's his family. And, and so he's wanting them to understand that this is what you do when you're part of a family. This is how you love one another. And his life is a living example of what that's supposed to look like. Now turn to verse 7 as he continues. Verse 7, he says, Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it is written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope. The thresher ought to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. After turning to his own life as an example, Paul now turns to some everyday examples that would have been equally as obvious to 
the Corinthians. And notice how they're all connected to food in some way. He talks about the, the soldier and how they are, do the rations when they go out to war. How a farmer gets food from the crops that they harvest. For the shepherd who raises those flocks is in, entitled to the milk of those flocks. Again, these aren't wages for the work they're doing. It's almost like benefits of doing the job, of carrying out the work. As I thought about that this week, I, I thought about the Landises who own a, a new uh, yogurt shop in town, Minchie's, very tasty place. And I expect part of that gives them the privilege to taste what they're selling to make sure it's of good quality. <laughs> they're not stealing because they own it. It's part of the job that they do. And I also thought of when I was in high school, I worked at a place called Western Sizzling. How many of y'all remember Western Sizzling? Oh, yeah. Well, if you remember Western Sizzling, you remember one of the things that they were famous for were their homemade cheese rolls. Oh, they were so good. Now, I was just a measly dishwasher at Western Sizzling, but one of the benefits of being an employee was at the end of the day, when there were cheese rolls left over, instead of throwing them away, they dispersed them to all the employees, and I did get my fair share. <laughs> Again, it wasn't part of my wage. It wasn't a part of my salary. It was just part of what came to us when we worked at that establishment. And I think Paul is trying to make a similar point here. There are, all, there are certain practices that we would look at and say, yes, that's the right thing to do. A soldier deserves to have rations when he goes to war. A farmer deserves to eat from his harvest. A, a shepherd is entitled to the milk of the flock that he raises. And then in verse 8, Paul makes the point that these things are, are foundational in the truths of Scripture. We didn't just come up on that on our own. This was God's heart to begin with. So in verse 8, he says, Am I not speaking of things according to human logic, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? And he goes on to talk about not muzzling an ox. See, the law prohibits a, a, an ox from having a muzzle over its face so that it's unable to eat while it's working for you. And Paul's saying, the law says that that's not right. It, that's not treating that animal with dignity and respect for the work that he's doing for you. And if it's true for an animal, how much more is it true for human beings? And how we are called to love and serve one another. Reminds me of a story of a, a mom who shared one day with her family how she first learned to eat peas with a butter knife. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, that's crazy. But here's how the story goes. Growing up, she was young and lived during the days of the Depression. And as was custom for her family, if there was anybody that they encountered who needed a meal, they invited them into their home. They just made a place for them. So one day, the dad comes in and he says... Uh, Family, we're going to have a guest tonight. His name is Henry. He doesn't speak a lot of English, but we want to set an extra place for him so that when we have our meal, he will be our guest. So this was normal for this family. They set an extra place for Henry. Henry comes in, sits down at the edge of his seat, a little anxious about being in this environment. They bow their heads. They pray. Bless the food. And then when they're done, Henry picks up a butter knife and begins to eat peas with a butter knife. Well, the dad had a fork in his hand, looks at what Henry's doing, slowly puts the fork down, looks to his family, 
picks up his butter knife, kind of gestures to them to do the same. And for the rest of the meal, they in, ate the entire meal with that butter knife. She goes on to explain that that day she understood how to treat someone with dignity. Her dad chose to eat with a butter knife because that's what Henry did. And Henry was in a foreign place, and he wanted it to be a safe place. And so to treat him with dignity, he brought himself to that level so that that was normal. And they learned to eat that day with a butter knife. I think in some ways, that's Paul's point as well. God's people are called to serve one another with dignity and respect. But keep in mind, he's giving these words to a people who have neglected that priority of love for one another because they're so engaged with the rights of what they should be able to do based on their knowledge. I have a right to eat meat sacrificed to idols because I know that it's no different than any other meat. I don't want to be left out of what is an important social event. I don't want to be an outcast, so I need to find a way to fit in. They are so concerned with fitting in with the world that they've lost sight on what it means to love and serve one another within their own family. And Paul's saying, that's not right. Look at how he continues in verse 11. He says, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right. For we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share with the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. He's looking again at that example of the farmer and he's looking to himself and he's saying, do I not have the right to benefit from that harvest of faith among those that I've chosen to serve? Whether on the basis of simple dignity or just the commitment of love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul has risked his life to bring the gospel to the Corinthian church. They really are indebted to him in ways that they'll never be able to repay. But he has not once brought that up before them. He's not asking for a thing. In fact, Paul went to great lengths to remove any hindrances that in some way would distort the message of Christ. Paul's goal was for his life to speak the message of God's love. The Corinthians were his family. And when you have family, that's just what you do. That's how you love and care for one another. Now I want you to think again to that example of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. You all remember that example in Scripture. And we would have to believe that there was a tinge of conviction within the heart of all those disciples when Jesus did for them what they should have done for him. Right? We know that's the case because when he gets to Peter, <laughs> Peter says, no, no, you, you can't do this. And Jesus said, 
Yes, I can. Because there's a lesson here that you need to learn about how to love one another. In fact, if you would turn to John chapter 13. Let's just look at that together. John chapter 13. And I want you to look at verse 12 with me. John chapter 13, verse 12. This is after he had washed the disciples' feet and said, it says in verse 12, And so when he, Jesus, had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. In a very similar way, I think Paul is interacting with the church in Corinth with that same message at heart. I I think the Corinthians have dirty feet. (laughs) And they're spending a lot of time talking about what they have the right to do. And so Paul is stopping. And all the time he's bringing up these rhetorical questions and these illustrations. He's washing their feet. He's telling them that when we are brothers and sisters in Christ, what I have done for you is what you should do for one another. He's pointing to the repeated sacrifices of love made on their behalf. Not just from him, but he says we, he and the other apostles who have ministered to them. People like him who have washed their feet. But instead of serving others, Members of the Corinthian church are more concerned about what's right for them. They're more concerned about fitting in than being set apart. In fact, I think at the heart of this, they're showing more favor to people in the world than they're showing to their own family. Their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that's the heart of the message that Paul is communicating to the Corinthian church. The Corinthians are forsaking the ones they have been called to serve. Instead of building up their brothers and sisters in Christ, they are doing things that have become a stumbling block. Their being a friend of the world has become a barrier in their love for one another. So as we think about the heart of that message, that's where I want us to then kind of draw it into how this applies to, to you and I. And let me ask you this question. What kind of preference are you giving towards your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because if I've, as I've thought about that question in my own life, here's what I've been challenged by. I think that many of us, myself included, live at such a pace in this life, in this world, that if we're honest with ourselves, there's not a lot of margin for other people. There's a lot of things going on in my life and the life of my family, and there's just simply not a lot of margin to love other people. And we're in real danger in our culture (laughs) of feeling like social media somehow bridges that gap, right? But let's just be honest with one another. 
I'm really not loving you well by liking you on Instagram. Right? Being a friend with you on Facebook is not the same as being a friend with you in person. You see, that's a relationship of convenience. But what Paul is pointing to here is that true love requires a real sacrifice. And I'm grateful because I can look out within this body of believers and think of example after example of the ways that you have faithfully loved one another. And I'm not talking about a convenient love that works into your schedule. I'm thinking about things that interrupt you in the middle of the night. Things that you do (coughs) to enter into some dark places. Because that's where somebody's at. And they need you there to love them well. I'm thinking about ways that you have shared a meal with people that need it while you also care for your own family and prepare a meal for them as well. I think about people who have stood by one another at a graveside, who sat next to someone in a hospital room. Again, these are things that you have committed yourself to, not because you're going to get something in return, but because that's just what you do when you're family when you're brothers and sisters in Christ. I think there's always room for us to grow. Don't you agree? And it brings me to this point of what it means to be empathetic towards someone. And that's important for us to understand. And in God's timing, Terry shared something with me this week that fits perfectly in a way that I think helps us appreciate what we're talking about here and part of what Paul's message is through this passage this morning. So we're going to take just a little bit couple minutes and listen to this uh, little excerpt. So Taz, if you would show that, please. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say... I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, (laughs) it's bad, uh uh-huh. No, you want a sandwich? (laughs) Um, Empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. 
we're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Rarely can a response make something better. Rarely is it your words. Often it's your presence. At great cost to yourself. Because it's hard to do what she just described. Where you find an emotion within yourself that you probably don't want to embrace. But you need to. To really understand and connect with somebody who's in a hard place. So here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to prayerfully consider how you might care for the needs of others is more important than your own this week. And I want to encourage you to begin with prayer. I want you to think about the fact that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he never used singular pronouns. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's not me and I us because prayer is intended to be focused on who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ and our prayer for one another so for this week my challenge to you is this put aside your own personal needs and for the remainder of the week pray only for the needs of others focus your prayer life on things going on around you instead of things happening in you it's okay for a week you're not going to crumble, all right? But for a week, I want you to consider focusing your prayer life on the needs of others. Because one of the things that's going to cause you to do is be sensitive to what those needs might be. To look outside of yourself enough to realize where those needs are and how you can best pray for them. So you may just need to drop a note to somebody and ask them, how can I pray for you this week? And let that be the, the focus of your prayer life. So that's the first application is to Focus your prayer life this week on the needs of others and not yourself. The second one is this. Serve one someone for no reason. I mentioned you do a great job as a church family of caring for those. And Christy Hodge told the story one time of her fixing a meal for somebody and her kids asked, did somebody die or did they have a baby? Because that's usually why you fix a meal for somebody. But I also know that Christy Hodge has shown up at the Sapisa household with chicken pot pie to serve our family for no reason at all. Just a few weeks ago, Sally Miller. Is Sally back there? Sally, can you stand up? That's Sally Miller. Sally Miller is a senior in high school. Sally Miller called the fam Sapisa family and said, I would like to fix your family a meal. And the Gilberts and the Hardys. And the Huddlestons. Why? Because she wanted to express love in a genuine and tangible way. So that's my challenge to you this week. 
serve somebody for no reason at all. Which may mean you need to sign up for Lubbock Impact. Those are needs that exist within our community, and some of them are just treating people with dignity and respect because they deserve it. We have a church of 300, 400 people, and we struggle to get 10 of you. Maybe we need to do something to where we are more inclined to serve the needs of others is more important than our own. So maybe that's one of the tangible ways that you can look outside yourself this week. Serve some people with dignity and respect. The last thing is this. No, I, I, I just thought of something. Hillary Pierce, is she here? Did she have to leave? So Hillary was up here singing earlier. Hillary is a part of a school system that serves a lot of uh, students in our community who, as she's told me, don't have enough money to buy shoes to wear to school. And sometimes they just need shoes. So maybe one of the things you do this week is call Hillary Pierce. She's in our directory. If you don't have the number, call me. I'll give you her number. But maybe you just need to ask Hillary, how can I help you serve those kids that you teach in the school where you serve? She's come up to me on multiple occasions saying, you know, there are some real needs that we could really do a lot to help serve kids in our community who otherwise don't have the means for basic necessities that are just common for you and I. So Hillary Pierce is her name, and maybe you need to call her this week and see if there's a way you can help her out. The last thing that I want to encourage you to consider is just dropping a note of encouragement to someone this week. All I'm trying to do is give you some practical examples that fit the heart of Paul's message of this is what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ as we are called to love and serve one another. And yeah, it may inconvenience you. And yeah, it may pull you away from focusing on you and what you want to be doing. But I think it's the point that we can get so distracted in the world around us that we forget how to love one another. So I'm asking you to consider for this week to put those needs aside and turn your attention to someone else. And not necessarily because they need it, <laughs> but simply because they're one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's pray together. Father, thanks for helping us take a really challenging passage and make it very practical in our lives today. I believe that that's your very intent as Paul spoke those words to the Corinthian church people so distracted by their own needs and what they needed to do to fit into the world around them, they'd lost sight on how to sacrificially love one another. And I don't know that in America today that you and that we are that much different. And so we need you to help us understand with the same kind of clarity what it means to love and serve one another, whether that's basic human dignity or the sacrificial love of what we are called to share with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a part of the family of God. So would you help us this week turn our hearts and our minds away from the world and towards one another, from our own needs to the needs of someone else. And may we do it with great gratitude because of the love that you've given us. May, may our life just be a message of your love to us and then to others. Father, this is our prayer, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who washed our feet as an example of how we are to love one another. May we go and do the same. In his name we pray, amen.
Have a great day.